All right, let's open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Let's see, verse 13. We got moved into our new rental home yesterday, and uh, just praising God. I want to say thank you to everybody who's helped out, and we're just blessed. It was strangely quiet there. It was good. (laughs) I do miss the view of Kmart. It's weird, I know. <laughs> so, um, as we had finished last week, we're, we're uh, Mark chapter uh, 2, verse 10. The big thing was there is that uh, he was healing a paralytic who got raised down through the ceiling. And uh, are we willing to go all out for the lost? These guys brought this guy who was totally messed up, who had a lifestyle of sin, and uh, he was paralyzed from it, and they opened up the thatched roof and lowered it down in the middle of a prayer meeting. How embarrassing is that? How far are we willing to go for the lost? Are we willing to risk personal embarrassment, personal loss? Are we willing to go all out for Christ? That's the mission. When it's all said and done and you stand before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Boy, I'm just, I'm already thinking about the hours I've spent doing frivolous things. You know? But what I did for love's reward, you know, will that stand the test of time? You know, it says that there'll be a fire. The things that were done, wood, wood, hay, and stubble will be burned away. And what's left will be gold. You know, what are those things that we've done for for his kingdom, for his glory? Are we willing to suffer like Jesus suffered? Humility. And I would say, I look out here and I would say, yes, I know you guys. You've done that many times. You've loved me when it's been embarrassing to do so. And we need to continue to love the lost. Continue to reach out to those around you. What's the worst that could happen? They could not like you anymore? Jesus said, you know what? If they hate me, they're going to hate you. That's in John. We are fully identified with Jesus Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are absolutely 100% his. Amen? And so we should live like it. Those who are Christ should walk as Jesus walked. And whatever avenue that the Lord's given you, whatever venue he's given you, as being a parent, kind of, you know, a a mother locked in the house with her kids, (laughs) how can we love them with the love of Christ? Or, you know, be effective in your business place. Be effective in, you know, ethics speak hugely to people. There's so many people who can just slide the corners and do dirty business. But when you stand up for Jesus and say, you know what? I'm willing to take the hit on myself because it's the right thing to do. It's the thing that honors the Lord. These types of situations, how can you be a witness for Jesus Christ? Amen? But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus stood there and he said, hey, your sins are forgiven. Well, so what? We can't see that work in his heart. But we remember that when God says it, it happens. And he's saying, okay, just to prove to you thick-headed Pharisees out there, 
that what I said happened, what's easier to do? To say your sins are forgiven or to get up and walk? Tell this guy to get up and walk. Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because there's no physical sense of it. And how we're always looking for proof. Instead of just trusting what God says has happened. But he said, so that you'll know that I have authority. Hey, get up and walk. And the guy stood up, got his mat, and ran away. Woo-hoo! And that's our Lord Jesus. And they were all amazed, and they were blown away. And they started praising God. And it says, once again, verse 13, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him. Obviously, people are flocking to him. And he began to teach them. This lake that they're talking about is the Sea of Galilee, Gennesaret. Um, If you think about it geographically, I wanted to have a map this week, but I couldn't find one that would view on this thing. Um, The Sea of Galilee is about seven miles wide and 14 miles long. What did you think about when you saw the Sea of Galilee in your head? The ocean? You know, big giant ocean? No, you can actually see to the other side of it. Um, It's just a really big big lake. When I was there in 2001, I'm going, okay, we're going to see the Sea of Galilee. Come over the hill, and you're like, oh, it's a lake. It's a lake with hills around it. And, uh, you know, I stayed in Tiberias in the southern part, and you go ahead and you take a boat right across the thing, and in 15 minutes you're on the other side of the lake in Capernaum. And you're just going, okay. And you're there in Capernaum, and you're looking at this uh, uh, house with seven walls. What had happened is uh, the early church had built a house upon Peter's house. You know, churches often do that. Like in different religions, they'll build churches on important sites to say, hey, this is, what, this is important to us. So you're looking at this house with seven walls, and they excavate below that, and they see the original remains of probably Peter's house. It's amazing. And so then you, you go along the coast a little bit, and there you are at, at where the Gergesons were, where the pigs jumped off the cliff. And, you know, and you see where the demon-possessed man ran out through the hills. And it's just, it brings it alive. And I highly suggest that you ever get a chance to go to Israel and, and walk the streets. I would do it. You know, perhaps one day we can get something together where we can go. It would, it's great. And uh, especially when it's a heightened terror alert time, because nobody's there. It's great. <laughs> I was with my, our, our tour guide, and we went in the middle of the Intifada, and, and it, was, it was wonderful. Uh, and they were all... Uh, we can't go here today. There's a parade. <laughs> There's a parade. Okay, we can't go to the city. And, you know, the tour guys know we're gone. They're, they're mostly ex-military. They've got all the connections. It's funny. We were, out, we were uh, on the outside of, of Jerusalem. There's Jerusalem is a city. And then actually, there's a, a five-mile uh, from the center of Jerusalem to the center of Bethlehem. It's five miles. And between that are fields, the shepherd's fields. And that's where uh, Ruth gleaned. That's where uh, the shepherds were and all that type of stuff. And so he takes us to the edge to look at Bethlehem because we couldn't go into Bethlehem at the time because there was some stuff going on. And um, so he goes up to this guy with a tank. He's in a tank, you know, with with the gun pointed towards the Bethlehem. And he starts arguing with him, like, let us pass. I'm like, don't let us pass. (laughs) You know, I don't want to go over there. And finally, he's just, he like, he does some, I served in whatever. I don't know, they were talking. And anyways, okay, goes, come on. And he walks right past him. And we're like, sorry. You know, and he takes us out and he goes, don't point your cameras. They might, the snipers might get you. 
And I'm like, what are we doing here? You know, there's Bethlehem. Let's get out of here. You know, so uh, it just brings it alive. And uh, it, you know, I just wanted to make that point. But just to let you know, it's, a, it's an amazing place. You know, Israel is 40 miles wide and, uh, and 200 miles long. That's for me to understand. That's from San Diego to L.A. That's really easy for me. But what is it to Portland? Right, okay. 200 miles. That's top to bottom. 40 miles wide. So how long does it take to drink, drive a tank into the middle of your capital? Does that like let you know why there's a lot of stuff going on right now? It's just, it's incredible. And as you read the scriptures, you see this, this little tiny place that God said, this is your land. And these people uh, who are just in this compressed situation, and somehow in 1948, when they've been disbanded from the land for a thousand years or two thousand years since the Romans destroyed it and kicked them out, all of a sudden God says in 1948, May 18th, 1948 to be act, hey, come back into the land. And for some reasons, the United Nations of all people gave pity upon them and gave them this piece of land, which they had. And here they are to this day. Biblical prophecy come true that you'd bring them back into the land. It's just amazing. This is God's land, God's people. And if we ever had a chance to go there and to look at it and to see it, it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, to drive where Jesus walked, it's pretty cool. Um, and so once again... Jesus was out by the lake, and a large crowd came to him. And he was teaching on the Sea of Galilee. And about this time is where they did the, if you want to read over Matthew 5 through 7, uh, is where the Sermon on the Mount was on this grassy slope that goes down the hill. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. It's important to know how reviled tax collectors were in that day. More so than today. They were just absolutely hated because they were Jews working for the Roman government. You betrayed your own people to work for an occupying force, collecting taxes against their own will. And then not only that, you would take more than than they were supposed to give, and they made a huge profit off of it. How would you like that guy? They're despised, absolutely despised. And the Romans didn't do anything to it. And so Jesus comes walking up to one of these guys in his booth and says, hey, follow me. Follow me. And so Levi does. You know, obviously you don't do that in that culture, especially if you're a rabbi. You don't mingle with sinners like that, people who are doing evil things to people. It gets better. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So not only did Jesus, you know, happen to ask this tax collector to follow him, he decided to go have dinner with him. And you do not do that in, in, in Jewish culture. For when you eat with people, you become one with them. It's a time of, of, of communing together. And that's why if, if you understand that, uh, from a Jewish perspective, communion becomes a whole bigger thing to us because there's usually like one center pot of like soup or something like that, and you have one piece of bread 
and everybody's reclining, you break it apart and you hand it around, they all dip it in the same pot and you know, double dipping in the whole thing. And so the same the same food that you're having, I'm having, and it be, and, and it's nourishing me, which is nourishing you, and we kind of become one in this mystical type of way that they look at it. And so you don't do that with sinners. You don't sit and you do not eat with sinners because you come become one with the sinner, therefore defiling yourself. Do not become one with the world. Does that make sense? You don't do this. And so Jesus is obviously going against custom and culture. Think of a situation in your life where you'd be going against custom and culture. Think of it. Let the Lord minister to you. Ask him, Lord, who am I not ministering to because of these things? And allow him to break down the walls and you love and you live like Jesus. That's what I'm asking. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. And so he's eating at his house. And John, you know, something about Jesus. He just has a fondness. He has a love for these tax collectors, these sinners, these worst of worst. You know, he hung out with prostitutes and sinners, tax collectors, the worst of the worst. He called Paul, a murderer of Christians, a person who persecuted him, to write half of the New Testament, most of the New Testament. And he, I have a feeling he'd walk up to, you know, Osama bin Laden and say, hey, follow me. He'd go, what are you doing? That's exactly who a Jesus is. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. You know, that's our Jesus. Is that heart flowing through us? I'm asking that in myself. Or do I just want to nuke them, you know? <clears throat> yes, I do. You know? Lord, help me. But if you remember the story of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? Come down from that tree. That guy was the chief tax collector in Jericho. He was the chief tax All the other tax collectors reported to this guy. So did he have a little bit of money? Did he have a little bit of extortion going on? Did he have some bad stuff going on? Yes. And Jesus sees this guy. And it's too short. This guy's up in the tree. And so Jesus said, hey... Come down from there. I'm going to your house today. He invites himself over. I love that. And all the people began to grumble, saying, He's going to be guest of a sinner. What's he doing? And upon hearing this, Jesus said, Zacchaeus, uh, when, when Jesus spoke to Zacchaeus and they had this dialogue going on, Zacchaeus just knew in his heart he was convicted of his sin because of the holiness of Jesus. Jesus didn't even have to say anything. He just knew it. Zacchaeus was just overwhelmed and he said, Listen, he said, I'm going to give up half of my money to the poor, just half of my money to the poor, and repay all those who I've overtaxed four times as much as I took. Wow. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. That which is lost. If you had a problem with stealing, Paul talks to you and says, you know what, quit stealing, get a job, and then give your money to the poor. You do the exact opposite. Zacchaeus repented in his heart. He turned towards the Lord and said, you you know me through and through, you know who I am. And Jesus said, salvation has come here today. You reckon what God says about you is true. This is what it is. This is who I am. And you say mercy and he gives it he loves you 
absolutely loves you. He loves to give mercy to sinners. He gave his son to die on a cross and bleed and be horribly tortured so that that punishment that was due sinners would be put upon his son for the joy that was set before him, the joy he endured. He endured. We're his joy to save sinners. You know, like I said the other week, you know, people complain, you know, about hypocrites. There's too many hypocrites in the church. It's like, where else are they supposed to go? You know? <laughs> we're hypocrites anonymous, man. We're, we're going, hey, Lord, clean me up. Here I am. I struggle. You know? Here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm, you know, I'm these things. But you were washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. And by his spirit working in our life, we become changed. We become followers of him. And as we listen to Jesus, he goes, you know what? Let's not do that anymore, Matt. Let's do it this way. All right, Dad, let's do it. It's a relationship, and we move forward in him. Amen. I love that. And so Jesus made a practice of seeking and spending time with sinners, you know, and I'm glad that he's doing that with us. And not only that, you know, i just overjoyed that he's going to prepare a place for us, that we get to be with him forever and ever and ever. That's great. Okay, in contrast here, verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, they wanted to make sure a difference between the Sadducees and the Pharisees here, it says, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked the disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I haven't come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is one of those pitfalls that we can fall into as Christians. We get so caught up in our own social club and stuff that we forget the mission. We forget the mission, you know, reaching out to the lost, you know. The mission is having FaceTime with sinners, FaceTime with sinners. You know, and I know some of you are going, well, that's what I'm doing today, Matt, you know. <laughs> Just, no, 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 different sinners out the world. We're going to reach the lost, those who would have nothing to do with Christ, those who are in your workplace, those who are, you know, at the soccer games, at the baseball games, at the, at the basketball games. Just enjoying them, inviting them over to your house, loving them. That's what we're about. The mission. You know, I was at Barnes & Noble. And, um, you know, I, the point is that when we fail to engage in the mission, we fail to grow in the Lord. We stay stagnant and we fail to be a blessing and to receive the blessings that God has for us. When I was in Barnes and Noble studying, and I had this music on, I think it was Chris Thomas or something, and just the Lord was just blessing me. I stopped studying, and I just was listening to the song, and I just was pouring out my heart to him. And I'm sitting here, you know, my headphones on, and people are thinking, I'm wacko. But I'm just sitting there going, oh, man, he's so good. Just one of those times. And then I open up my eyes, and I see a, guy, a head of a, someone across the, you know, the little divider thing. They have like in, and it was in the coffee shop part. And uh, I saw the head, and, and the Lord impressed upon my heart, go talk to him. Now, I know, uh, you know, go talk to him. And like I said, when we, we've been walking with the Lord and we begin to hear his voice, you kind of know his nudgings. And that happens as we step out in faith. And as we begin to walk with him, we begin to understand what his voice sounds like more clearly. Okay? And so he nudged upon my heart, go talk to him and, tell, and say this. And this is kind of what I had in, in, in my heart. He said, Tell him, God wanted me to come over and talk to you. Now, I had an argument with God. 
And I won. I won. Nope, I'm not going to go over there, and I'm not going to talk to him about this. Oh, well, I, okay, finally, I know i got to do it. So, God, I'm going to go, but I'm going to go half-hearted. I'm going to do it part my way, part your way. So I walked over, and I did the first things out of my mouth were, hey, how are you doing? I'm, yeah, what, what, you, what you reading there? And he goes, oh, I'm reading about, I'm, I'm studying on spirituality. I'm seeking. What did God tell me to say? Walk over there and tell him, God wanted me to come talk to you. How foolish does that sound like to me? So foolish. But to him, what kind of difference would that have made? He's sitting there seeking, and a person walks up, being led by the Holy Spirit, and says, God wanted me to come talk to you. Now, that sounds strange. What are you studying? You know, what are you doing? Who are you? Oh, I was just doing this. And so instead of having an impactful conversation, we had a conversation about religion. Are we willing to be embarrassed? Are we willing to go all out for Jesus when he says and, and, and do it? doesn't make a difference who the people are we are talking to. doesn't make a difference who's watching us. The Pharisees, whoever, they're always wanting us to stay in line and stay conformed. We do what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. And when we fail to be involved in Bible study, when we fail to be a person of prayer, when we fail to, you know, uh, do these things to the degree that the Lord's allowed us to do them to, to be in fellowship with brothers and sisters, and when we fail to evangelize, when we fail to share our faith, we don't grow in the Lord. These are things that God has given us as blessings in our lives. And I'm just speaking this because we're all challenged to move forward in him. I don't want to have condemnation. We want to have encouragement. Amen? Not, there's no condemnation in Christ, Christ Jesus. There's, come on, team, let's go. All right? So there we go. We want to do this. And so these guys that he was hanging out with uh, obviously were not uh, model Christians. And we can lose touch with the mission to seek the lost and make disciples, to preach the cross, denying yourself and loving others. We can lose that mission. You know, being a pastor, it's really easy to get hunkered down in your office or studying. And, uh, you know, I spend most of my time thinking about how I can minister to people who are saved, right? And less and less of my time is being spent with the lost, but that's part that's mostly what the Lord's called me to to equip the body for the work of the ministry. You guys are the spearheads. I'm giving you ammunition. I'm praying for you. We're equipping you. The elders are praying for you, asking how can we help you grow in Christ? How can we encourage you? How can we prod you forward? And you guys are the special tactical units in all the places you have that we can't get into. Amen. And so but I can find myself less and less and less and farther away from the world that's hurting. Jesus was out among the people. He was touching people who were lost daily. How many of us would rather just go to church and be around Christian people and do the easy thing? It's a lot nicer, isn't it? I like you guys. I do. It's great. It's a lot easier. But, we're not called to easy. We're called to the cross. 
we deny ourselves and we go in and we just we depend upon him fully for the power, for the words, for the strength to go do it. Amen? Yes, that's what we're about. I want to continue to do that. Lord, help me. You know, and when you get out there and you start uh, engaging with people, especially, I want to say the lowest of the low. The Lord allowed me, a, you know, an 18-month period of, of being outside of ministry, and I got a job in construction staffing. And any of you who know anything about construction, it's, it's a little bit, uh, you know, yeah, it's a little rough, you know. There's, there's some words that you might not like, but they don't necessarily mean them in that way. That's just their normal vocabulary. You know, uh, and as they as you're getting to know these people, it's it's pretty fun. A lot of them that I was I was dealing with had prison records, and a lot. And I remember sitting this one one time. We're outside talking. They're all smoking cigarettes and we're chatting and um, just having you know they're having a conversation. They're talking about this one work site and they're trying to measure off dimensions. And they're like, oh yeah, you know it's it's about two cells wide, and uh, <clears throat> and the guys all. Yeah, well, is it like one, what kind of cell? Is it the, you know, their whole world's like jail talk, you know? They're, they're measuring how the real world works by jail. Their worldview is just totally different, you know? And it's like, I'm looking at these people going, these are totally lost people. Who in the world would ever purposefully come out and minister to them? The Lord had a mission. He took a pastor and he said, you know what? I want you to go spend 18 months with these guys. And I preached the gospel to them every day. In word and in deed. I would sit and talk. We talk politics. We talk religion. We talk everything. And half these guys had a background. Or they knew of him and they had left him. And, you know, I was able to lead a few people to Christ. It was hard ground. But the Lord brought me there to go, Matt, this is the real world. Don't ever lose touch of the real world. These are the people that I've come to die for. You know, my sheep, I love them. Encourage them to go out and touch these people. So, here we are. Are are we in touch with the real world? Whatever sphere of influence the Lord's given you, are we willing? Now, John's disciples... And the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? What's going on there? You know, why aren't you getting in line? Fasting is a spiritual discipline, not a physical one. Um, Its purpose is to deny our flesh and to allow the Spirit to overcome. You see, when the Lord created us, we were created in His image. And part of that is, you know, he's kind of a holy trinity, and we were put together. I know there's different views. There's a dichotomy and a trichotomy, but there's different views. But basically, we have the part of us that is our body, right? The flesh. You cut off my my arm. Ow, my arm falls off. But you didn't get my spirit, did you? No, cut off my head. I guess you got it. But hey, the spirit is part of us. That's the part of us that relates with the Lord in our in our. You know, even in although I know these words are interchangeable, so we can go theologically around. But the idea is that our emotions are intertwined with our spirit, and th- those are the more the part that relate with man, more of our soul. But whichever way you take it, you know that we have different parts of us. And what happened is that our spirit, 
died when Adam sinned. We became dead. We're dead in sin. We keep on walking dead. And so what is left to control your body? Your emotions, your lower nature, your desires, your desires for food, for sex, for shelter, all these types of things are what's ruling the common man. Because you don't have the Spirit of God in you to be able to rule over those things. You don't have control over your sinful nature. You're not, you're not able to. We forfeited that. We're lost. But now that we have the Spirit of God in us, we get to have this tango. No, Spirit must do it. No, flesh wants to rule. And you've got this war that Romans talks about between the flesh and the Spirit. We've got this tango going on, right? And so what fasting does is it says, you stop it and you tune in with the Lord. And so it denies that flesh. It denies all these other lower nature needs, although they're legitimate. It just says, stop and focus on the Lord. I want to hear from you on a deeper level. And fasting is a spiritual discipline. That's why I say not a physical one. It's not for that. Its purpose is to deny our flesh and our appetites for a time so that our spirits can be strengthened in the Lord. Quite often, you know, our basic needs get in the way. When you start praying, what happens? Oh, I'm hungry, or I want to sleep, or all these things happen, right? Oh, yeah, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus didn't even get the words out of his mouth before his disciples fell asleep. You know, stay with me and pray one hour. No, wake up. You know, I had to come back three times. These guys were tired. And so our physical desires often hinder our spiritual reception. And so John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And so people came and they asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the Pharisees are, Pharisees' disciples are fasting, yours are not? That's a legitimate question. You're supposed to be spiritual? Why aren't you fasting? And so if I had time, I'd talk to you about the Pharisees' legalistic approach to fasting and all that type of stuff, which you can find in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is interesting, uh, which is the Sermon on the Mount which is done, spoken in Matthew during this time. But check it out. He talks about how they make everybody know they're fasting. And Jesus says, no, put oil on your face. Just act. It's, it's a matter of the heart before God. Fasting should always be done from a sincere heart, not for show, uh, just like prayer. And Jesus answered him. He says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. The short answer is that fasting is to seek God, and why do I have to fast? Why do they have to fast when they're with God? They didn't. They didn't have to fast, because the Lord was right there with them. That's pretty easy. And then Jesus makes an Interesting statement in verse 21, and he starts talking about the, the wine and the wineskin. He says, No one sews a patch of unshrunken cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will be put, uh, pull, pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the skin will be ruined. No, he pours new wine into new wineskin. Right? New wine goes in a new wineskin. Old wine stays in the old wineskin. What Jesus is getting at here is that the way things have been cannot contain what is coming. The old system was under the old covenant. The things that are happening under the new covenant cannot be contained in the old covenant. 
the old covenant was to point us to Christ. All those were images and pictures and all this type of stuff. And these point us to Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of the covenant. And he's saying, what's happening now cannot be contained. You're asking me to jump through all these. Listen, it's going to be different. When they went on that, if you remember when, uh, when Jesus went to this, the lady at the well, and she had had five husbands and all that stuff. She said, give me a, give me a drink. And, and uh, you know, they had this dialogue. She says, hey, you know, our people worship on this mountain. You're worshiping people on that mountain. And then Jesus responds and says what? He says, hey, my father is looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about the place. It's about the kingdom of the heart. It's no longer about the building. It's about your heart. It's no longer about the building. It's about our hearts. And so this is a very important thing. And Jesus is saying, listen, the old ways are not going to be able to fit into the new ways. I've got a new covenant. The church is going to be born, and it's not going to be under this old system. Although, do we murder people? No, we don't murder people. Come on now, wake up. Are we liars? Are we lying? <laughs> I'm sorry, let's not do that deep. Um, but you keep going on the list. Okay, so which one of these don't we keep? We keep all of them. What about the Sabbath? Have you guys taken a nice day off? We'll get there. We'll get there, amen? Yeah, we got that thing. Just because Jesus fulfilled the law doesn't mean we don't keep the law type of thing. It means that we walk in the Spirit, and by keeping in the Spirit, we're obviously going to keep the law, amen? It's different. All right, what Jesus is getting at here is that the way things have been, it's just going to be different. You can't get that, you guys. Stop trying to put us under your, your yoke. It's going to change. Wineskins was made out of goat skin, and the new leather would expand as the new wine was put in. Now, if you had something that was already expanded because the wine was done, and you put in new wine and it expands it more, it's going to burst and ruin everything. The same way. The legal system that the Pharisees held cannot contain the kingdom of God. It's not going to happen. Yet somehow, even today, we try to contain God's kingdom into methods. If I just go to church and I you know, do all these things, then therefore, no. It's a life by the Spirit. It's a life built upon relationship with Jesus Christ. And when He tells us to do something, we go. And that means we have to get to know His voice. Amen? How do we get to know His voice? By faith. We continue to walk. We continue to be in His Word. We continue to be a people of prayer. We continue to fellowship with one another because that's what the Lord says to do. It encourages one another, grows one another. And we continue to share our faith. Those four steps that we teach and, you know, that I teach to new believers, those four things that should be a part of your life, I'm saying aren't necessarily a systematic thing, but they're, they're general types of things that you can look at in your life saying, are these things happening? And if not, you're going to find a stunt in your growth. And then Christianity becomes religion. It becomes a bunch of laws instead of a relationship with each other and with God. So as we move forward, like Jesus, you know, having to go outside of the religious system today, um, sometimes, let me, let me just back up for a second. The, the thought I want to have here is that you see Jesus, and he's doing something different than the system was. These guys were doing the right thing, but with the wrong heart. Jesus 
often did things that were outside the norm. And he was being led by his father. I find that today that moves of God often have to go outside of traditional Christianity because the church persecutes it. Because we think that we have a system of things that's right, you know, a system of rules or whatever it might be. As we do that, we look at them and go, well, they're not lining up in our room. Why aren't you guys fasting? Why aren't you guys baptizing, you know, this way? Why aren't you doing this or that? If we read church history, we're going to realize that we are very, (laughs) we should walk lightly. We hold on to those doctrines that we need to hold on to in our right hand. Jesus died and rose again for our sins and all these types of things we hold on to fiercely. But left hand, walk with some grace. Pray about it. Don't be so condemning because it might be the Lord. It might be the Lord. So as you look out and you see alternative ways that people are trying to reach Christ, Look at the heart. What is their heart? Are they reaching the Lord? Are they trying to be creative in reaching Him? So they don't meet in a building. But are they the church? Do they love Jesus? Do they hold those right doctrines? Don't be a Pharisee. Don't be the church that just sits there and condemns. Be the church that's led by the Spirit and and is opening and says, you know what? You're doing things that are different culturally, but biblically, you're right on. So let's be those people. We'll, we'll go ahead and close with that. But the Lord, I think, I think the big picture is, are we being a people who are sensitive to His Holy Spirit? And if not, why? And these are questions we'll just have to ask. Lord, am I really open to what you want me to do and to say this week? Not only to do and to say, but to be. Just to be with him. And I look at you guys, and and I just know. I see the Lord in you. I see God doing good things, and I'm excited about where we're going. We're growing in the Lord together. And as we do, God's going to continue to direct us and move us, and I'm excited about that. So let's stand together and let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, I want to just praise you for this flock, Lord, that you've placed here in this church, Lord, that I get to be a part of it. Lord, you are our shepherd. And I ask that you continue to lead us and guide us this week. I pray that we would have new experiences in you this week. Not weird funky experiences, Lord, but things that are of your spirit. I would ask you to please uh, help us to hear you. Help us to know what that sounds like. Help us to grow in that, Lord. I pray that you would allow new opportunities for us to share. And, And once we get over that initial just fear, Lord, it would just become a lifestyle. And I pray that you'd mute the enemy. I pray that you would quell him, Lord. That his attempts at telling us, oh, you, you can't do that. You, you can't speak. You can't look at your clothes or whatever it is. Just, you know, or whatever the lies are that would keep us from loving like you love. Would go away. Lord, bless these people. Pour out your spirit upon them. 
Keep their kids safe tonight, Lord. Keep us in your will. Help us to see every opportunity as an opportunity from you and your kingdom. We're not longer ours. We've been bought with a price. We're at your will, Lord. We're, we're your slaves, your sons and your daughters, your friend. Lord, I want to finish by just praying for Gary and Susie. And I thank you that they're sensitive to, to you, Lord, and for saying, come into my house. Lord, will you please help this little one? Will you help her to adjust to her daddy being a brave soldier, Lord, and for mommy trying to make ends meet and being diligent? Help her little emotions, Lord, as she can't probably express much. Just give Gary and Susie wisdom in this situation. Bless them today. Give them strength that they need for as long as they need it, Lord. We praise you. We give you this day. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. All righty. Go get them.